0: Please be seated in God's house as we pray together in the assembly of God's people. Let us pray. Father in heaven, Father, we see just a glimpse in this Christmas season as to why the angels have an unfettered rejoicing over what it is that you've done. We have just a glimpse of why the angels in heaven continually never cease to praise you by saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts, the one who was and is and is to come. This season, we see just a taste of it. We see just a glimpse of it. And Father, for those of us that know you, we love it. We love what this season represents. We love celebrating your first coming and we look forward to the second coming. We look forward to that second coming when you will come so differently than you did the first time. We love you for all these things. It's in the matchless name of Jesus that we pray and everybody says, Amen. I don't know about you, but it has blessed my life this morning to hear... Everyone in God's house singing together, and it is indeed a joyous season that we are celebrating together. I would like to invite you this morning to turn to the Gospel of John chapter 1. Whether you have a hard copy Bible or your phones in front of you, or for those of all of you joining us online that are not wearing any pants sitting at home, please be taking your Bibles also. Put some pants on and then take your Bibles to John chapter 1 the Gospel of John chapter 1. We're on a little bit of a journey here to understand Christmas just a little bit better. Maybe perhaps just the same journey that Charlie Brown was on. Learning to understand what Christmas is about, to understand the the behind-the-scenes perspective of it. We said last week that the Christmas story as it is seen in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel according to Matthew it was much like a play Uh, not that it was a fake thing it was a very real thing that happened they accounted that they gave the account of in the gospel of luke and the gospel of matthew but you see the frothy details you see the amazing display of the son of god coming in the flesh into the world somebody say amen you see those incredible incredible things happening And it's almost as if when you look at the book of John, a commonly overlooked gospel during the Christmas season, it's almost as if you're getting a behind-the-scenes perspective of Christmas. We get the -the behind-the-scenes perspective to understand how everything out on the stage came to be, why it could come to be in the way that it did. And in that journey that we went on starting last week, we understood some things about Christ. We understood as The Holy Spirit inspired John that Jesus was in the very, very beginning. He did not begin to exist on Christmas. He always was. And in the beginning, He was always God. He was also part of the Trinity in the very beginning. So unlike what some people think, Jesus coming to have His first existence that first Christmas day, rather we understand it in truth to be Jesus, King of Heaven, dethroning Himself taking off the royal robe, taking off the crown, lowering Himself to the point of this little baby to put on flesh to do what was necessary to save us. We know that Christmas represents Him bringing the exact thing that we needed, which was salvation. If you watch superhero movies, you know that right before they come in to do their heroic act, they'll puff the chest and... Their chin just looks a little bit more chiseled as they go in to save the day. But unlike that, our Savior lowered Himself to the point of putting on a body, bringing with Him the very thing that we needed, which was light. It was the light of men, the forgiveness, the redemption, that every human soul that is broken, which all of them are broken, need. And now we're in John chapter 1 still. We come to verse 6. And we also learn some things about John, the apostle whom God chose to write this gospel account. And we understand that by the time God called him to write this, that he was a very old man. John was an old man when he sat down and the Holy Spirit inspired him to write these things. It's understood in Christian tradition that he was leading the church in Ephesus, and this was just prior to him being exiled as like a prisoner for undoubtedly the things that he was doing. Perhaps it was even the things that he wrote here in the book of John that began to circulate among the early church that then had him thrown onto the island of Patmos, where then God used him to write the book of Revelation. And in verse 6, we have the Apostle John introducing us to another man named John, John the Baptist. And we continue on in this journey of taking a stroll backstage of Christmas and understanding why things happened the way that they did. Look, if you would, to verse 6, where we read and it says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Father in heaven, I pray right now that by your Holy Spirit, you would shine a light on this and help me preach, help our hearts to feed spiritual nourishment to walk into this Christmas as a celebratory day where we understand some things that happened in the background. We understand some things that you did that you set in motion to make it all happen just the way that it did. We pray in Jesus' name and all the church says, So this John the Baptist carer, remembering not to confuse the two, the Apostle John whom the Holy Spirit used to write this gospel, this good news account of Christ, this is John writing it and he's writing about another man named John, John the Baptist. So kind of like Mary in the Bible, very, very common name. John was another common name. So was Jude, so was Judas. These were common names in biblical times. So understand that we have two different Johns being described here. And of John the Baptist we understand some very intriguing details about this man. We know that he was the greatest prophet. Jesus says in Matthew 11:11, 11, 11, "Assuredly I say to you, among those born of women there has not risen one greater than John the Baptist." He was the greatest prophet coming up to the time of Christ. He was the greatest. We also know that his birth was announced by an angel. In fact, it was announced by the angel Gabriel, who was the same angel, not my whiny little cute toddler over there, but by the angel Gabriel, my son's name is Gabriel, but by the angel Gabriel who announced the birth of Christ was also the same angel who announced the birth of John the Baptist. We know that to be true of John the Baptist. We know that John the Baptist was a relative of Jesus. In fact, when Gabriel, the angel, was announcing to Mary the birth of Christ, one of the things that he said in Luke 1.36, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, this is angel speaking to Mary, Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This is, of course, John the Baptist that was conceived in the womb of Elizabeth. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So not only do we know that John the Baptist was the greatest prophet, that his birth was announced by an angel, that he was a relative of Jesus, we also know that his coming, the coming of John the Baptist was foretold in the Old Testament and that John the Baptist was a bit strange. Matthew 3 verses 1 through 4, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. So John himself was clothed in camel's hair, with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now, that may sound really super strange, and it is kind of super strange. This would have described the way in which a vagabond kind of person would have lived in those days, and that's the way in which John the Baptist lived also. It just didn't happen commonly that this vagabond type of character was also the greatest prophet ever, and this great preacher preaching in the wilderness that was foretold of many, many years prior by the prophet Isaiah. So we not only know that he was foretold of and a bit strange, we also know that he was politically incorrect. In Colossal Proportions. Mark 6, verses 17 through 18. Herod was the name of the king at the time. And it says there, For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. For he, Herod, had married her because John had said to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. This was a death sentence for John the Baptist and he very likely knew that going into it and it was incredibly, it was the most politically incorrect thing you could do and that's exactly what the greatest prophet born of women ever said. We know these things about John the Baptist. But there are some things in particular about John the Baptist that are far more interesting than any of those details that I just shared with you. And the most interesting thing about him is the purpose for which God sent him on the earth. So as you and I go back, look to verse 6 again, we seek to understand the behind the scenes of Christmas. And it involves to some degree this man named John the Baptist. Look to verse 6 again if you would please. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. What the Apostle John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is telling us about John the Baptist, is that the purpose for which God sent this greatest prophet ever, funny-looking John the Baptist wearing camel hide and a leather sash around his waist, eating locusts and honey, politically incorrect, great preacher man. The reason for which God sent him into the earth was to simply make straight the path of Christ, to go before Christ and preach, to let everyone know that the Savior was coming, to be this preacher in the wilderness that people might repent and come to know Christ through this preaching. And John the apostles very clear that John the, John the Baptist was not that light. He was not the Savior. He was simply there to bear witness of the Savior that was coming behind him. This relative of his, the Son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Somebody say amen if you understand. Now, we're behind the scenes of Christmas here. And if you imagine a play, think of a traveling play. And say, for example, the Midland Theater there in Newark, there was a traveling play that came about and you and your family bought tickets because they were doing some show that you wanted to see. Uh, Undoubtedly, this play did not just all their equipment and all their props and all of the actors and everything they need to make this show go. They didn't just show up the day they were there to perform. Uh, Somewhere, perhaps even states away, there would be an administrative office. And this administrative office would send a representative and this representative would be in charge of going to the physical location to take measurements of the stage, uh, to make sure that the lighting was going to be able to be proper for this play that they were going to be doing. This representative would have the responsibility of going and doing the promotion in that town ahead of time before the main thing came. And it's almost as if, yet in an incredibly more significant kind of way, that God, being the administrative office, sent this representative, John the Baptist, to make straight the way of the Lord and to be this preacher in the wilderness that people would begin to hear about the coming Messiah. So our first point this morning is simply this. what, What these details of Scripture tell us, point one this morning is that it was planned all along for Christmas to be the entry of our hero. Christmas was not a last-ditch effort in response to all of our sinfulness. It was planned. It was calculated. So calculated, in fact, that the purpose of an entire person's life would be to go before the Savior coming on Christmas that 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 person to go before the ministry the earthly ministry of Jesus and to preach and to proclaim the good news of the savior that was coming now for those who take the time to let this soak into your mind and to soak into your soul you'll find this notion that Christmas was planned all along That Christ was in the beginning, that in the beginning He was God, that this was all part of the plan, the purpose of John the Baptist. All these things it tells us as we survey the background behind the scenes of Christmas that this whole thing was planned. It becomes an astonishing reality when you understand that that whole thing was planned while God was viewing our rebellion against Him. While God was in view of the sinfulness of the human heart. The desperate wickedness of the human heart that God was seeing. He still planned all that to happen. The Savior of the world to come and to seek and to save that which was lost. He made all that plan while in view of our darkness. While in view of our rebellion. And that is incredibly moving when you understand that church. When you don't just think about the sins of the world. But when you think about your sins, sir or madam. That God planned that rescue for you even while you were spinning in the face of God with your sinful rebellion against Him. This was something that Paul the Apostle became convinced of. If you know your Bibles, you'll know that Paul the Apostle was formerly known as Saul. He was persecuting the church. He was the murderer of Christians. And he's going to this city called Damascus and he has an encounter with God on that road. And it was such an, a powerful encounter that he goes to Damascus, he actually goes blind from the moment he had that encounter, he goes blind and he later receives his sight. But, but for three days, for three entire days, he sits himself in Damascus, he doesn't eat or drink anything, for three entire days. And I just wonder in my mind sometimes, what was going through the mind of Paul during that three days? Was he thinking of Stephen? Stephen? who he gave the approval of for that people would stone him to death. I, I just don't know. I don't know those things that were going through in the mind of Paul during those three days. I don't know what was going on in his mind then, but I know that at some point by the Holy Spirit of God inspired Paul, and Paul was convinced, as we sing in Romans 5, verses 6 through 11, Paul was convinced of this reality that God still had a good intended plan even when he surveyed our wickedness. For when we were still without strength, Paul said, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrated his own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's good news to know that God is so good that even in surveying our wickedness, even in surveying our rebellion against Him, that He would still make this plan of Christmas, this plan for the entry of our hero, of our Redeemer to come into the world. He still did it, church. He still did it. And for those of you that know Him, for those of you and you think back to your own testimony, that's usually like a pivotal point in all of our testimonies when we survey the cross, we survey all that God did, and there comes this keen understanding that Christ did that for me even when I was sinning, even when I wasn't seeking Him, even when I was rebelling against Him. That was in the mind of God to plan and to achieve all of those things. I think of the people in Kentucky who have been in numerous states, but their homes have just been totally wrecked by all the tornadoes and and undoubtedly, there's some that just think, well, if God was good, why wouldn't he just stop all these things from happening? And it's awesome. I've, not that I want anybody in this house to be wrecked by a whole bunch of tornadoes in the middle of December. That's not the point. The, the point is, though, it's, it's awesome that churches are now going around like crazy, doing all kinds of ministry, and they're explaining to people, these tornadoes, it's just like cancer, it's just like death, it's just like disease. These things are the result of sin, of being in an earth in a sin-cursed environment. That's the result of these things. And here you are by the grace of God and I'm a minister preaching the gospel to you as a result of a tornado ripping your home to shreds. And some people are going to come to know Jesus and they're going to come to that realization that even when they weren't seeking God, even though they weren't good, God saw the rebellion that God still made the saving grace come to them. That God by His mercy, even in the midst of a sin-cursed environment where tornadoes rip people's homes to shreds, that God's goodness would meet people and people are going to understand that. And they're going to think, even in the midst of me not seeking God, even in the midst of my total sin, my, my depravity of a completely, and, and I was an enemy of God, and even in the midst of that, that God would do this good thing to send His Son. And there will be those that come to know Him. And then all of a sudden it makes sense that all things will work together for the good of those who love God, even tornadoes that rip people's houses to shreds. Better for people to have a house that's ripped to shred and have their home built in eternity. Look to verse 9 in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, and it simply affirms this understanding that we've already seen. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through Him, and the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own did not receive Him. So when you and I look at each other and we say Merry Christmas, we're not just celebrating Christmas cookies and praise God for Christmas cookies. We're not just celebrating the warm time of year where we all give gifts to each other and that's all good and wonderful. But but the thing that is really merry about Christmas is that we're celebrating a whole bunch of God's grace. We're celebrating a whole bunch of the love of God. We're celebrating a whole bunch of God's goodness. Just like Paul said that no one does that no one saves like that. Even for a good man, someone would hardly even dare to die. But, but God demonstrates His own goodness, His own love for us, even that while we were still sinners, He died for us. That's why Christmas, dear friends, is Merry. That's the reason that it's Merry. Consider for a moment. Luke chapter 15 in which we find the story of the prodigal son hopefully it's a story that you're familiar with it's a parable that Jesus told in his teachings to illustrate to make it clear not only what our sin is like but also what God's goodness and grace is like and you'll know that story you know the story the son asked for from his father for to get his inheritance early which was essentially the equivalent of saying that he wished his dad was dead so that he could just have the money and go on his way. And this story should be hopefully familiar with you. The son goes and he squanders it. He wastes the wealth uh, with sinful living and he decides to go back He decides to go home. He was like, man, why am I out here doing this? Even even my father's servants are living better than this. I'm just going to go and I'm just going to throw myself upon the mercy of the father and whatever he says is going to be good because I'm just going to go and plead for his mercy. That's all I have left. That's all I can do. I've hit rock bottom. And the son goes back and the pivotal part of that story is the father sees him from a long way off. And the real special part of the story is that the father runs to the boy Even though the father knew that he was a sinner, even though the father knew that he had wasted the wealth, even though the father knew these things about the son, the son still smelled like hog manure, church, and the father still ran to him. And what I'm preaching to you this morning is that Christmas is the proof that God runs to the sinner. That's you and me, church. It's the proof in the pudding that he did it. It's the proof in the pudding that Jesus said, that's the story, that's that's the illustration, that's the parable, the prodigal son, and yet Christmas proves it. It proves what we already know to be true. So the soul that believes this, which I hope your soul believes it this morning, church, The soul that believes this will ask the question, what do we do with this knowledge? What do we do with the God that owes us nothing? We couldn't please Him by any faithful effort of our own, and yet He gave us everything in the form of His Son that brought with Him in His hand redemption for us. What do you do with that kind of knowledge? Look to verse 12, John chapter 1, and it starts off that first word word says, but... Somebody say the word, but parents, sorry about that, but as many as received him, and we've got some biblical examples of people that received him, but as many as received him, you think of Zacchaeus who received Christ, he was a wicked man, he was a traitor, he was kind of a snitch and a thief, and yet he repented of those things, he received Jesus. You think of that woman by the well who had a messed up sexual life big time. But she received Jesus. For those who received Him, if you've received Him this morning, say Amen. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So, our second point this morning is simply this, and it indeed is simple. What was planned all along happened the redemption that He planned, the rescue that He planned, the Christmas that God had planned in His sovereignty to make this Savior come in the form of flesh for us to bring with Him the thing that we needed, even in the midst of our rebellion, the thing that was planned absolutely happened. And all of a sudden, the Old Testaments and our Bible start to make sense. We understand that the whole debacle with Egypt and God's children being in bondage to under Egypt, it represents not just a nation being enslaved by another nation, it represents our own bondage and sin. We understand that situations in the Old Testament point to Christ. You think of the prophets, you think of Isaiah who under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God prophesied incredible detail, not just about Christmas, but also about the crucifixion. And we understand that the prophets pointed to Christ. You understand that even items, even objects, you think of the ark. A big old hunk of wood that had been slapped together with gopher wood and whatever kind of tar they did to make that thing waterproof. Even that item that you've got to be inside the ark, otherwise you'll be destroyed under the wrath of God. And God has every right to destroy people when they rebel against Him, but He's made a way of escape. And Jesus is that way of escape. You understand that even items in the Old Testament point to Christ. And it all happened on that Christmas. Like we needed another reason to think that God was a truth teller. But we find Him yet again, over and over, time and time, page after page, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, that God is worth being trusted as a truth teller. And He's telling you the truth, dear friend, this morning. He's telling you the truth, dear friend, joining us online. That as many as receive Him, to them to you he will give the right to become a child of God and don't muddle the lie don't let it get muddied in your mind the lie that the world says that everyone is a child of God everyone is not a child of God the Bible teaches that there are children of the devil and that there are children of God and the way to become a child of God is to receive him to believe in his name that's the difference And this is what we are beckoning a world to do. This is the Great Commission. This is what we are calling people into to become children of God. To receive Christ. To believe in His name. To go from a child of the devil to a child of God. That's what we're beckoning the world to do. And Christmas is a great time to do it as many of us will be interacting with family and friends. Many of which who will not be saved. And as you minister to them, as you witness in perhaps a less significant way, but we strive in the way that John the Baptist was to make straight the way of the Lord and to preach and proclaim the goodness of God in a similar kind of way, as we preach to our family and friends and seek to share the gospel with them, don't forget the details of verse 13. Look back to it if you would quickly. Verse 13. This being born of God, it is not of blood. Meaning that just because your grandma went to church, it doesn't mean diddly squat for you. And I'm not sure if that's a term that pastors should be using, but it's one that I grew up hearing. It doesn't mean anything if someone or your best friend or someone that you know has a relationship with God. It is not of blood. It's not a lineage thing that gets you as being a child of God. We're all adopted into His kingdom. It has nothing to do with blood and lineage. Nothing about that. It's all about His sacrifice and whether or not you believe in His name, whether or not you receive Him. Know also that it's not by the will of the flesh there in verse 13. You can't work your way to God. You, no matter how, you could be the most disciplined eating nothing but rice and drinking water that doesn't taste very good, black belt and every more sorts It doesn't matter how disciplined you are, this is not by the will of the flesh that you become a child of God. It is not by your efforts. Nor of the will of man. Verse 13 again. I can't give you this salvation. Confessing your sins to a Catholic priest won't give you this salvation. It's not for man to give. Man didn't achieve it. Christ achieved it. He's a truth teller. He was the one that bought it with his own blood. It's for him to give. He's the one you've got to go to. Not me. If I could give it to you, trust me, I would, but I can't. Totally incapable of giving you what only the Son of God Himself can give you. Not of blood. Nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. His grace, His mercy, His redemption, His plan, His will, His love. So we have, I hope, effectively looked behind some of the scenes of Christmas. And we understand that this Jesus whom Christmas is about, we understand that He existed in the beginning that he was god in the beginning that he was part of the trinity in the beginning that this masterful plan of redemption was his plan that was carried out he is seen yet again to be a truth teller and even while seeing our rebellion he chose because of his great love for us to carry the plan through And I wonder if you need to receive Him this morning. I wonder if you need to believe in His name. For those of us joining online, I, I, wonder if you need to, I wonder if you need to repent. I wonder if you need to receive Him like we have in all the New Testament of those who joyfully received Christ and, and trusted Him and followed Him like so many here have done. I, I wonder if you need to believe in His name. Because the greatest gift... That I could give you on Christmas, you cannot fit underneath a tree, but it fit mighty well on a cross, and it took the form of an empty grave. And yours can be too if you trust him, if you believe in his name. Would you stand with me as we bow our heads to pray, as we come to the music? with heads bowed and eyes closed as we yet again take some time and at this time guys if I'm just going to ask that we we not go anything with the music right now as we observe yet another moment to simply be still and to know that he is God know that there are no accidents dear friends There are no accidents that you're joining the podcast or online or here in prayer. There's no accidents that you're hearing this good news gospel message that God carried the plan through. He did it. He achieved it. There's no accidents in that. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. And I wonder if in that knowledge of being still and knowing that he's gone, that you would say this morning, and I believe in him. And I receive him. If that would be you, I just want you to lift your hand right where you're at. As we begin to minister with music, and let's pray. Father in heaven you are you are holy you are behold you are holy beyond what we could imagine what you've achieved What you said you were going to do and did in the presence of the rebellion of humankind. There are no words. There are no words to describe that kind of love. There are no words to describe that kind of grace. There are no words to describe that kind of kindness. That patience. Lord, we take a moment this morning to recognize that these are elements that only You have. We couldn't have shown that kind of mercy. We couldn't have paid that kind of price. But because You are God, Because you're the first and the last. Because you're the great I Am. Yet again, we found you to be a truth teller. Yet again, we find this Gospel sweet. And yet again, we call to a broken world saying that they must repent. And they must trust in You. They must receive You. They must believe in Your name. be able to have the right to become a child of God father should there be anyone under the sound of my voice father draw them I pray into the sweet freeing relationship of sins being washed of having a right stand before a holy God And whatever the apprehensions of the human heart are today, Lord, of all those hearing this good news message, break them down in the hearts, I pray. The apprehensions of what people will think if they become a believer, of what their co-workers will think if they become a believer. Father, you said it well when you said, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Father, the sweetness of our own soul being redeemed, it compels me to preach. It compels me to make You famous. It compels me to say to the sinner that You must repent. You must turn. This way of redemption is too amazing. It's too encompassing. It's worldwide. It spans the ages of time. And you must be in Christ. You must be forgiven by Him. He's the only one who can give you the forgiveness that you need. I'm not looking for any outward action. I'm looking for the transformation of God. And if you believe this morning that God has given you new a heart, whether it's joining us online or here in person, I don't want to hear about it so that I can put your name on a list and email you a hundred thousand times and grow the church. I want to know that so that I can rejoice with you that yet another person whom Christ died for has come into the kingdom. Another person has come to know this sweet, sweet redemption. that we might be the family of God together you might say I'd like to know who my siblings are in this kingdom that we might worship our father together father be with us as we again worship draw people by your Holy Spirit give them the boldness draw them we pray in Jesus name and all the church says Please don't leave this place. If you have come to know Jesus as your Savior, please don't leave this place unless you've shared it with myself or Elton or someone next to you that you know is a believer. I love you all so much. Let's worship together.